If you are here for the first time, I'm Pastor JP. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here. And we are in a series in our teaching uh, portion of our worship on Sunday mornings talking about transformed. And the whole idea is experiencing the supernatural life in Christ. And, and we chose those terms very specifically. God wants to transform us. That's change our lives. And the life that he wants to produce within us is supernatural. Because when you look at who Jesus is, what the Bible says about Jesus and what he taught and what he promised to do in our lives, it's nothing less than supernatural. Really, there's only one person who's actually perfectly lived supernatural life. That's Jesus himself. But what the Bible says is that when a person crosses the line, they come to faith in Christ, they invite Jesus to come into their life, Jesus actually comes to live within them. And so if you are a believer in Christ, the one who lives supernatural life lives in you. And he wants to live his supernatural life through you. If you're here uh, as a seeker, as a guest, as a skeptic, as someone that you're not even sure whether you believe this is true, just listen. Listen to what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, several minutes and, and think for yourself, if that were true, would I want to experience it? If that were true, would I want to experience it? Let me pray for us before we get into God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its promises. Thank you for its insight and clarity. Open our eyes to see what's true. Open our hearts to receive it. Open our minds to understand it. And may we with a choice of our will, be doers of what you say, living it out, working out what you work in so that Jesus would change our lives. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, what we talked about is this very simple truth that's just formulated in quite a few passages of the Bible, but we looked at it from Philippians 2, 12, and 13, and that is that supernatural life, transformed living, is a result of of us working out what God first works in. Us working out what God first works in. And so for the person who is in a believing relationship with Jesus and they are receiving Jesus working in their life and they in turn are living that out and working that out, that's the person who experiences supernatural life. And so today and for the next two weeks, I want to talk about, well, how do we work it out? What does that look like to work out what God works in? And uh, re- remember, I think I shared this illustration with you last week. It- it's like a, a hydroelectric uh, turbine. If you were to, to see many places in our country on, on very you know, large, powerfully flowing rivers, you'll see different power plants set up. And, and what takes place is there's a hydroelectric turbine where the force of the water is coming through. So there's input. And the force of that water turns the turbines, and what that creates is electricity, and that's the output. So there's the input, the force of the water, and then there's the output of electricity. What we're talking about is in the Christian life, there's the input of Jesus working in our lives, and then there's the output of of spiritual habits and a lifestyle that reflects Jesus, and that's how we grow spiritually. There's both input and there's output. There's both input and there's output. So now... What, what does that output look like? The first thing I want to talk about is this. We work out what God works in through intentional obedience. Intentional obedience. So first of all, let me unpack what I mean by that from, from God's word. So I want to look at several scriptures and then come up with 
with a definition and an operating principle of what intentional obedience really is. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, you can look on the screen. John 14, 21. John 14, 21. Jesus said this, whoever has my commands and keeps them, well, he's the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So keeping Christ's commands demonstrates love. Love is not just a feeling. And, and love is not just a confession. Love is action. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter on love, because the entire chapter is describing love, and in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, it gives all these definitions and, and descriptions of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, and you know all of those terms that we probably heard at some point read in a marriage ceremony where the pastor or the best man or somebody reads the scripture on love. Those are all verbs in, in the original text in the Greek language. Love is action. Love is demonstration. And Jesus said, if, if you have my commands and keeps them, you're the one who really loves me. So obedience is a love thing. Obedience is, is, a, is a response of love to God. Obedience is an expression of, of love. Obedience connects us to God's love. Obedience demonstrates God's love. And Jesus promises here that love prompted obedience always leads to deeper intimacy and knowledge and experience of Jesus. Love prompted obedience always leads to a deeper relationship with Jesus because Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is it who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. What a promise. Jesus says he will personally, intimately disclose himself to who? The one who has his commands and keeps them. The one who has his commands and keeps them. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says this, verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James says, that there ought to be some preparation work on our hearts to receive the word. He says, get rid of all filthiness and malice and slander and all that kind of stuff. In other words, you know, remember the story that Jesus gave about the four soils and the farmer went out and sowed the seed and some seed landed on the hard ground, some seed landed on, on rocky soil and some seed landed on, on the ground that had all kinds of weeds in it, but some seed landed on good soil. And then he described that's what happens. The word of God is given, some people's hearts are hard and the devil snatches it before people even think about it because they have a hard heart. But then some people have this kind of shallow rocky soil there's an emotional response to the word, but not real belief and conviction, and it doesn't do anything. And then other people got all kinds of conflicting priorities in their lives, and yeah, they might receive the word, but it's received along with a bunch of other priorities, and really the other priorities 
choke out the word so it never bears fruit. But then there's the good soil that receives, here's the word, and there's fruit that's produced. See, the good soil doesn't have any rocks or weeds in it. So maybe some of us just need to do a little work on our hearts because there's a lot of rocks and weeds in our hearts. So we got to get rid of the rocks and pull the weeds so our, the soil of our heart can be good to receive God's word so it'll change us. But then James says, that's only a start. You got to not only hear the word, you got to do what it says. Be a doer and not just a, a, a hearer. In fact, that's the, the phrasing that James actually uses. He uses a, um, a term that's a nominative noun. Hmm. Any English majors out there? Any grammarians, linguists? The nominative case in grammar is the naming case. It, it, it is the most descriptive case of what a thing or person actually is. So he doesn't command us to do the word. He says, be a person who is a doer of the word. I, li- I like that. Are you a doer of the word? When God looks at you, when other people look at you, do they see, that's a doer of the word? Or do they just see someone who's a hearer? See, if you just hear, James says, if you just hear and don't do, you're like a person who looks at their face in a mirror, and then when you leave, you, you forget what kind of person you look like. Now, now, play that out, what James is really saying. You get up in the morning, and you look in the mirror. Your hair's sticking all over the place. you got those little crusties in your eyes. you got a big old booger hanging out of your nose. You smile and you got that white filmy stuff on your teeth. Now, I'm describing my wife. Now, um, she's not here in this service, so, you know, she doesn't know. Now, here's the point. James says, if you look at yourself... What would be, the expected response would be, you wash your face, you blow your nose, you comb your hair because you're going to do your day. But he says, if you're a person who hears the word, but you don't do what it says, you're like a person who looks in the mirror, sees that, and then just leaves and doesn't do anything about it. You think, how foolish. Well, there's a bunch of people that are really foolish and they come to church every Sunday because they hear it. They hear it, but they don't do anything about it. James James says, that's foolish. On the other hand, he says, if you look intently at the perfect law, the law which gives you freedom, and you're not a forgetful hearer, but you're actually a working doer, you're going to be blessed in everything you do. So James says that if we are doers of the word, it, it will set us free and bless our lives. So be a doer. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? 
in the same way. Faith by itself, if it has not, if it's not accompanied by action, it's just dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without the deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, do you, not, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, it's funny, as I was looking at this passage and reflecting on it, I was laughing to myself, and, and I was laughing at myself about this, that there's passages in the Bible that some people try to make complicated and difficult, and then they create a controversy about it, whereas if you just step away and look at it, it's not complicated or difficult at all. It's just common sense, and that's this passage. It's just common sense. James is not contrasting faith and works. That's what some people think this passage is about because they're just not, they're, they're trying to create a controversy that doesn't exist. You know what James is contrasting in this passage? Defective faith with real faith. That's what he's doing. He's contrasting defective faith or false faith or unbiblical faith with real faith, with biblical faith. James says, starting it off, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no works, no deeds? Can such faith save them? And you know what the answer is? No. Such faith can't save a person because that's just intellectual assent. That's just someone who says, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that Jesus died. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe he rose from the dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's just intellectual assent. That's not saving faith. That's not biblical faith. That's just acknowledging something like, oh, yeah, George Washington was the first president. Sure. Is that changing your life? Does that mean anything to you personally? Is that impacting the way you live? No. It's just some factoid that you embrace in the myriad of factoids that you embrace. That kind of faith doesn't do anything. Well, what's the kind of faith that really matters? It's the kind of faith that when you see someone in need, you don't just say, well, be warm and be fed. You clothe them and feed them. That's real faith. See? And then he drops down and he, he uses Abraham as an example. Because he says, was not Abraham our father declared righteous by his faith? Yeah. And wasn't his faith working when he offered Isaac on the altar? Yeah. So now he gives you a little historical test. Because in Genesis 15, Abraham believed the promise of God. And it says in Genesis 15, God blessed Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was Genesis 15. In Genesis 22, he offered Isaac up as an act of obedience, living out his faith. What James is saying is, before God, when Abraham really believed, which was Genesis 15, he was, he was saved. But for the watching world, how did the watching world know that Abraham was a real man of faith? Because they couldn't see his heart. How did they know he's a real man of faith? Because in Genesis 22, he walked up on the mountain and offered his son. So it's not a faith versus works. It's faith and real faith works. 
Do you get it? That was a little play on words. That's kind of like, you know, a sticky statement. Real faith works. In other words, if you really believe in Jesus, you'll live it out. If you really love Jesus, you'll keep his commandments. If you have a real relationship with God, there'll be evidence because that real relationship with God changes you and you can't help but live it out. Now, is it a heart thing? Yes, totally. But I can't see your heart and you can't see my heart. So how do I know what's actually in your heart? By your works. That's how I know what's in your heart. James is talking about the fact that real faith is always expressed in action. You know, it's like Jesus in, in Mark chapter 2. Jesus uh, is, is preaching, and uh, all of a sudden these dudes are separate, or they're desperate to get this guy, their friend of his, the, the friend of theirs that's a paralytic to Jesus. So they crawl up on the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower him down, right? And Jesus sees the, the guy, and he says, your, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven. And then all the Pharisees, the religious you know, crowd starts going, who can you know, forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus says, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to this guy, arise and walk. The guy stood up and started walking. See, because you couldn't actually measure whether or not his sins were forgiven, but you could tell whether or not he was walking or not, right? So the point is, faith is a matter of the heart, but real faith gets expressed in action. Always. One more scripture. I'm just trying to establish a biblical paradigm and a principle here for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So this passage is talking about supernatural life. The, the life of the Holy Spirit renewing us in our thoughts, in our motives, in our actions, in our words. It's the Holy Spirit producing this, this new life in us and through us. But notice the Holy Spirit does that work of renewal, does that work of, of transformation in conjunction with us throwing off the old nature and putting on the new nature. One doesn't happen without the other. As we say no to the flesh and yes to our new life in Christ, in concurrence with that, the Holy Spirit transforms us and gives us new thoughts and new attitudes. It, it's, it's God working and our working. We work out what God works in. We work out what God works in. So obedience, whether it's a, a no or a yes is consistent with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying all this because here's a stupid, very stupid teaching that some people believe. Obedience is legalistic. Being obedient to Jesus, that's legalistic. Telling someone to be obedient to Jesus, that's legalistic. That's stupid. Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Was Jesus being legalistic? Was Jesus teaching salvation by works, not by grace? No. Grace, 
faith, love, the work of the Holy Spirit is concurrent with, demonstrated by obedience. So how do we work out what God works in? Through intentional obedience. Through intentional obedience. It's a grace thing. It's a faith thing. It's a love thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a God thing. So now let's see the principle. We work out what God works in. And we work it out through intentional obedience. Let me give you a definition. Intentional obedience is when we predetermine to do what God says. We predetermine to do what God says. And then in the moment of opportunity or the moment of testing, we choose to be doers of the word and we obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Intentional obedience is when we predetermine to do what God says, and then in the moment of opportunity or testing, we choose to be doers of the word and we obey the Holy Spirit. We obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, now some of you are thinking, well, you know, well, what's, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative could be, I'm not gonna be obedient. And if you're sitting here right now and in your mind and heart, you're saying, I don't care what this preacher says or I don't care what the Bible says, I'm gonna do what I wanna do and I'm not gonna do what God wants me to do. That's your prerogative. That's actually you living out one of the great uh, truths of how God created us in his own image to have a free will. But if that's your attitude, that's not the attitude of anybody who has any kind of connection with Jesus. And I think even as you hear me say it, it doesn't really sound that attractive or positive. I don't care what God says or anybody says, I'm just going to do what I want to do and it doesn't matter. What I mean. Well, what's another alternative? Another alternative is I'll wait and see as the situation presents itself to decide what I'm going to do. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you, you may think, well, that I don't think that's the best approach because... That's still kind of giving myself an out to be disobedient. But here's what happens, I think. I think some of us falsely assume, we falsely assume just by nature of the fact that we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior that we're just going to be obedient. I, I, I want to, you know that scene from you know, Back to the Future? You know, that, I'm dating myself, but Back to the Future, where he comes up, McFly, hello, McFly. I want to come up and go, knock on your head and go, hello, do you not understand the reality of the world we live in? The world, the flesh, and the devil come at us all the time. We're all sinners. Uh, the likelihood that if we just kind of passively say, well, you know, it'll just work out, la, la, la. No, it won't. We'll probably make bad choices. We'll probably be disobedient. We'll probably not follow through on the new person that we really are and the new desires we really have. So how do we not let that happen? How do we set ourselves up for success in the Christian life? How do we set ourselves up for fruit in the Christian life? How do we set ourselves up for living supernatural life? Intentional obedience. We predetermine ahead of time, I'm gonna be obedient. Because I am one who obeys. I am a doer of the word. 
I'm letting God work in and I'm working it out. So whatever the opportunity is and whatever the testing is, I'm already deciding now I'm going to do what God says because I'm going to be one of those people that because I love Jesus, I'm going to keep his commandments. I'm not going to be one of those people who just hears the word and doesn't do what it says. I'm going to be one of those people who hears the word and does the word. I'm not going to be people who say I have faith, but there's no action to back it up. I'm going to be a person who has faith and demonstrates it by my actions. I'm not going to be a person who just assumes that I'll be spiritually transformed, but I don't put off my old nature and I do put on my new nature. I'm going to be a person who every day gets up and puts off my old nature and every day puts on my new nature so the Holy Spirit in the process can renew me and transform me and change me. Intentional obedience is predetermining that you're going to obey. And then when the moment of opportunity presents itself or the moment of testing presents itself, you've already chosen, I'm going to be obedient. And in that moment, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you keep Christ's commandments. See, obedience is a love thing. He who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Obedience is a faith thing. It's a faith thing. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that seek him. And then you look at Hebrews 11, because it's it's known as the, the hall of fame of faith. All these people in the Hebrew scriptures that live by faith and please God, right? And this is what you discover. Right out of Hebrews 11. Abel brought a sacrifice by faith. Noah built an ark by faith. Abraham obeyed and left his home to a new country by faith. Sarah was enabled to bear children by faith. Abraham offered Isaac by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob by faith. Jacob blessed Joseph's sons by faith. Joseph gave instructions about the Exodus by faith. Moses' parents hid him by faith. Moses refused the pleasures of Egypt and chose the reproaches of Christ by faith. The people crossed the Red Sea by faith. The walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Rahab welcomed the Israelite spies by faith. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets all acted in faith. You know what's amazing? And it's like when you just kind of step away and you look at the forest, not at the little trees, you are overwhelmed with the fact that everybody who's mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith and every description of their life of faith talks about what they did by faith, their actions by faith, their works of faith. Faith is action. Love is action. Faith is, it's It's action. I've, I've shared with you many, many times my, my story of when I came to my now in-laws to ask for their daughter's hand in marriage. We dated for five years, Donna and I, and uh, we, uh, we kind of come to the point where it's either going to you know, get engaged or, or break up. And so because of some of our own fears, mainly my fears, we, we broke up. And then I was miserable. And one of my best friends said, you're miserable because you love her and you've got all these, you're over-intellectualizing. You just need to get engaged because you love her. And it was like, he's right. So I drove back home. I bought a ring. I hadn't even, we hadn't even been going out in a while. I called her up, took her out to lunch and said, will you marry me? And she's like, Bleh. you know. <laughs> I 
But I turned on that charm. You know what I'm talking about. A <laughs> little after our discipleship, you know what I mean. And um, before I ask, because I thought it was appropriate, before I ask, I called her parents and said, you know, I'd like to come out and talk to you. Well, you know, they're not dummies. They, what, what does he want to come out and talk to us about? So I had been over to their house so many times. They're the warmest, most loving people. You know Don and Carol Riley. They're here. They just greet, and they're just awesome, right? So I knock on the door. They invite me in. I sit in the living room. They sit on the couch over there. I sit over here, and right away I thought, the atmosphere feels a little different than it usually feels in this home. So I, 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 looked at, uh, I looked at Don and Kara, I looked at Coach, and I said, uh, I love your daughter, and I would, I would be blessed if she would be my wife. Would you give me the privilege of your blessing to ask her to marry me? And he looked at me and went, ooh, hmm. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble right away, you know? And he said, well, well, well kid, I know you love her, but it's action. It's action, kid. And then for like the next 90 minutes, he gave me a lecture on how hard marriage was and how it was action. And it wasn't just saying you love somebody, but you had to demonstrate it and back it up. I could feel the sweat just dropping down. It's like, oh my gosh. But they gave me permission and, you know, here we are all these years later, right? Hey, yeah. But let me tell you, Those were some of the wisest words I ever heard. It's action. When you're young and and you're, you know, you just, you have all this emotion and you have an unrealistic view of what life's going to be like. And oh, we're just in love, you know. But it's action. It's action. And the Christian life is the same way. It's action. Love is action. Faith is action. We work out what God works in. It's a love thing. It's a faith thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Again, we get these wacky ideas that somehow you start talking about obedience and that's not the work of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit produces freedom and obedience means structure and rules. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You see, when we say no, by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, or when we say yes, I'm following you, Holy Spirit, as you lead me, those are choices of obedience. They're choices of obedience. See, obedience is a love thing. Obedience is a faith thing. Obedience is a Holy Spirit thing. We work out what God works in. And we work it out in in intentional obedience. Now, you gotta listen real fast because I got one last point now and maybe this was what it's set up for to bring it home. That's applying it in real life. Applying it in real life. See, every scriptural command is a command. And every command evokes a response. Yes, I will obey it. No, I won't obey it. 
And every person here, we're all on a spiritual journey, right? We're all on a spiritual journey. We're at different places in the spiritual journey. But every person here already knows some commands of the Bible. When you, you work out what God works in, when you obey the commands. So you're going to leave this worship service. And you're going to do life. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On, on everything in the law and the prophets come down to these two commands. So every command in the Bible comes down to love God or love your neighbor. So let me ask you, you're going to leave this worship service. Are you going to obey that command? Is that going to be the guiding principle for your life? Is that, so every decision you make, how you have your marriage, how you parent your kids, what you do with your money, Is it going to be based on loving God and loving my neighbor? Are you going to ask you, how does, you're going to be facing decisions. There's going to be an opportunity to choose this or this. Hmm. How does this decision, how can I live out, love God, though my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love my neighbors, myself? That might make the decision really easy. Well, this doesn't do anything for it. It's out. So it's this. Maybe your decisions are not just A and B, it's A, B, C, D, and E. But again, you have to make them in light of which decision is a best representation of loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself. Is that the guiding principle of your life? Is it how you've established the priorities in your family? Is it, is it how you're thinking about what you want to do with your money? Is it, is it guiding day-to-day decisions? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love my neighbor as myself. You see, it's intentional obedience. How about this one? 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So at some point, if you're married, some point in this week, you're going to get in a conflict with your spouse. What are you going to do in that conflict? How are you going to act? Are you going to default to just what your feelings tell you to do? Are you going to default to what your parents did? Are you going to default to what fits your personality? Or are you going to choose to be obedient? And that's not to respond to an insult with an insult, but to be sympathetic, tenderhearted, and bless. See, it's an obedient thing. Because you're working out what God works in. See, intentional obedience. I'm, I'm predetermining ahead of time. I'm being obedient. Or, or how, about, how about this one? Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says this. It's God's will for you that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable and not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now, there's so many realms of application. I'm going to pick one. Do you know if statistics are, are right, and I think they are, about 40% of our congregation of adults are single. Either they haven't been married yet or they've been divorced or they're widowed. But about 40% are single. So if, if you're in that single category, and you kind of find yourself in the dating scene again. Hey, how are you? 
are you going to date the way Hollywood and the world and your lust tell you to? Are you going to be obedient to Scripture? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that you control your own body, not in lustful passions like people who don't even know God, but in holiness as a follower of Christ. It's your choice. You're going to be obedient? Determine ahead of time. My old mentor, when I was a student at San Jose State involved with Campus Crusade, hey, don't wait till the windows are fogged up to decide what your standards are going to be when you're on a date. (laughs) Predetermined obedience. How about this one? Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We're commanded in the Bible to not forsake meeting together, but to proactively meet together and not just meet together, meet together so we can encourage one another. So are you gonna be a hit and miss church attender? You know, once a month, a couple times a year, Maybe this happened to be that Sunday of the four times a year that you're going and you're here this morning. Or are you going to say, God has commanded me to fellowship with his people. I, I, need, to be, I need to be going every Sunday and, and make it work. Every Sunday. And not just go, but go not just wanting to receive, but go to be a giver and a servant to contribute to others. See, it's an obedience thing. It's an obedience thing. Or how about this one, Psalm 100? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. When you come to to worship and, and, and enjoy the worship service at Crossline, are you shouting for joy? Are you worshiping with praise? Is your heart engaged? Is your body in responding? Or are you just sitting there like, you know, okay, you know, this is too loud. I don't like it. Or I don't know this song. I'm not going to sing it. Or, you know, why is JP and Kenny up there dancing around like idiots? I, what? Mm, I don't like what's going on. It's an obedience thing, gang. And by the way, we're going to have a, a very clear opportunity to apply this because when I say in Jesus' name, amen, we're going to sing another worship song. And I'm going to look around. <laughs> Man, I, I could just keep going. These are just commands. Let me just pick one more. Mark 16, 15. And Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. You might be thinking, gosh, JP, Kenny, Greg, they're like broken records talking about this Easter service or, or Summit or the Beast Feast. I wish they just stopped talking about that. Jesus said, not JP, not Kenny, not Greg, not Crossline Church. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Tell everybody you can. There's a wedding feast. Invite everybody. Go to the highways and byways. Beckon them to come in. It's it's an obedience thing, gang. We work out 
what God works in. And what a great opportunity we have to work it out. We, we, can, we can invite people to our church, to Easter, to the Summit Young Adult Worship Service, to Beast Feast. We can share our story with people. It's as simple, literally. I was thinking about this this morning, and I, and I don't want to make, make something that is a challenge easier than it is, but it really is this easy. You're talking to your coworker, and you know, you just say, hey, I know you know that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I, I go to church, but have I ever shared with you my story of, of why I do that? Boom. Now you're just kind of talking about your life. Or, or, or you, you go to someone and you go, hey, hey you know, I know you know that I'm I'm a follower of Christ, and you know what I believe is there's a God who really loves us and cares about us, and and He's actually said that if we seek Him, we'll find Him. You got, you got any interest in that? Is that on your radar screen at all to find out whether that might be true? And now you're in a conversation. You see, you go across the street to your neighbor and say. I'm so sorry. I've lived across the street from you for 10 years. What's your name? <laughs> just being real. And, and you just say, hey, you know what? I am part of a great church that's really a blessing to our family. And we're having this Easter service coming up. And I, I think you'd really enjoy it. Our pastor's going to be sharing a message about hope. That's good news. We get enough bad news, you know. He's going to be talking about good news. Would, would you be my guest? I'd, I'd love, to, love to take you to church, and we'll, we'll go out for brunch afterwards. You know, it's, it's really simple. But the issue is, it's an act of obedience. It's just an act of obedience. We, we work out what God works in, and one of the primary ways we do that is by being intentionally obedient. We determine ahead of time I'm a servant of Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm going to keep the commands of Jesus. And so today, in every opportunity and in every testing, I'm already have decided I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. And so now I'm just looking for the opportunity to do it. That's working out what Jesus has worked in. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray that this message of obedience would be received with gratitude because you've done so much to save us and you do love us and we do love you and this is how we can demonstrate our love for you. And it's how we step into the supernatural life that Christ has come to give us. It's, it's how we access the fruit and power and joy of the Holy Spirit within us. Lord, help us. Help us be obedient. Help us be obedient by faith. Help us be obedient in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us be obedient as an expression of love. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.